Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome back to Kingdom Cast Podcast for the week of November 4th in the year 2020. Joining us once again is Sandra Stop and the Namor of Love Before You Break My Heart Swindle. Did you like that one, Sandra? That was sent in by Cody. Oh, thank you, Cody. (laughs) Now you've got people suggesting this. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. This is the first podcast after the election. I mean, it ain't over yet, I don't think. By the time people hear this, they may or may not have announced winners and all that. But I'm here to tell you right now that Kingdom Cast, we here at Kingdom Cast, we know who the real winners are. That's our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) You're all winners in our book. Who's the losers? Shut up, Albert. (laughs) Before we get started here, I'm going to do a couple of technical notes. Thank you all for letting me know that I left out the DC section last week. I was not aware of purpose, right? Not on purpose at all. (laughs) Yeah, I was not protesting Pamela Lifford or Warner Brothers or anything else. That was a complete and total accident. Basically, the way I edit the podcast is I chop it up into sections, and then I find what sections work best in what order, and I put them in that. I had DC in a separate order. We also record DC on a different night than we do the regular podcast because the books come out a little earlier. So I messed that up completely in the same vein, I also messed up by not being able to edit the pull lists episode for this week, but we're just going to call it a wash and start over fresh and new this week. So again, I apologize. That's all on me, and I will do my best to make sure that it doesn't happen again. As for the major DC book that came out last week, The Three Jokers, I absolutely loved it. I've heard all the complaints. I've read a number of bad reports about it. But I'm here to say, if you're like me and had picked up The Killing Joke when it came out in 1989, that you couldn't have asked for a better bookend to, hell, to the Batman saga in its entirety than The Three Jokers. I thought it was really, really something else. I thought Jeff Johns and Fabok knocked it out of the park. I agree completely. It's a great follow-up to The Killing Joke, and him, along with Fabok, did do their best to make it tonally a proper follow-up in, in terms of writing and art and coloring and page layouts. I don't think I could have asked for a better book than what they gave us. I pretty much gave it straight fives when we reviewed it. Yeah, we both did. We both did. I thought that was an outstanding book. I said in the review, which y'all didn't get to hear, thanks to me, if this was the last Batman story, then so be it book ended everything perfectly. Anyway, that was our rundown of the three Jokers. That kind of leads us into a situation here. Albert, you know what's going on with the Omniverse, right? I have read articles. This is basically going to be their new format after they do their, what's it called, Future's End? Future State. 
Yeah, future state. Yeah, future after state. they after they finish with this the death metal crap, and then they do the couple of their uh, big thick books on future state for a month, two months. They're moving into something that tentatively seems to be called the omniverse. It's basically a format where they can write any story they want, and there is no more continuity. It doesn't matter. There's not a main stream DC universe to follow. They just well, that, write that seems to be the working theory. Yeah. I would not be surprised if if they sort of pick out maybe a small amount of books and say these these books right here work together. Everything else is just whatever the writer wants to do. Yeah, I don't see the problem with having a set of books in continuity. And then I've been a big proponent forever of having the what if books or the uh, multiverse books. They're just told outside of mainstream continuity. And I'd be thrilled to death if they just put out as many of those as they wanted around the clock. I'd, I'd be down for that so long as we do have the mainstream continuity. What bothers me about what we're reading about the omniverse situation is this is a way that you can dilute the base of the characters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, if they don't have to adhere to any one base of morality or any one set of dynamics or set of rules, then it's easy to lose the core of who they are in all of that. The counter argument of that is what people consider the best stories of some of those characters. Like if we look at the big three, we have like uh, Wonder Woman, what's that called? Uh, Scor- Burned Earth or Scorched Earth? Scorched Earth, yes. Batman Dark Knight Returns and All-Star uh-huh. Superman. Yes. Those are all what you'd consider definitive uh, takes on characters, and none of those are in continuity. Red Sun Superman's a classic, and it's not in continuity. I think having the having the leash taken off of you and storytelling is important. I also do think it's important to have a mainstream history of these characters that stays intact. In other words, yeah, even if it's just like, you know, just four or five books in total. Yeah. So we're going to have to watch and see how this develops. I think it's still part of the Pamela Lifford thing. I did read an article where it said, oh, this is going to be great because it gives more skins to choose from, purchase, buy or earn in the DC Comics video games that are coming out, as well as possibility for more action figures. And that's that's what scares me. That goes right in line with the Pamela Lifford stuff we've been reading in the past. Given all of that, Albert, we did get an email from Austin. And we're going to go ahead and ask this question because it is pertinent to the Omniverse. Austin asks, <laughs> are you ready for this, Albert? I'm ready. Austin asks, do you guys feel that you owe Liefeld an apology since he called the DC disaster as far back as your very first episode? <laughs> Liefeld owes me an apology <laughs> for 30 plus years of his art. <laughs> I went back and listened to the first episode after I read Austin's email, and he's damn right. We were on there. As a matter of fact, the whole thing was kind of a, the whole thing you and I were doing that first episode was kind of tongue in cheek Liefeld stuff because he was making fun of DC. And at that time, there wasn't a real big issue with DC Comics, but apparently he did know what was coming down because, yeah, we reported him calling it dead on and was making fun of him for it. If he unblocks me on Twitter, I will I will pr- apologize to him. <laughs> on the air. <laughs> on the air. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And Austin, I did go back and listen, and damn, yeah, Liefeld apparently knew. But 
does that make him less of an ass? <laughs> I'd like to apologize for doubting him on that one. <laughs> is that going to make that Snake Eyes book good? <laughs> that Snake Eyes book is outstanding, sir. <laughs> sure. Okay, while we're on the emails, we'll go on to Keith. Keith writes in, and this is something Alabama-specific, and I, I don't know if I'm going to include it in the final cut of this or not, but Keith writes in and asks, is it me or does Albert look a little like Doug Jones? Love, Keith. Doug, jo- no. Doug Jones. No. <laughs> no. Doug Jones is a... What was he? Was he a senator? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's a politician from Alabama, and he took the place of Jeff Sessions. He did not get reelected this cycle. And there's been a whole lot of Doug Jones commercials, most of them anti-Doug Jones to the point. And we we don't get political. You'll you'll never know who would vote for or anything else. But I will say this. <laughs> At least Doug Jones lives in Alabama. <laughs> exactly. Number one. He knows the law. Isn't he a lawyer? He was the state attorney general, wasn't he? I, I don't think law should. Uh, I don't think knowing the law should preclude you. Not knowing or knowing the law should preclude you from serving. I think that's a lot of the problem right now. We're not getting into politics. What I was going to say is <laughs> all of the all of the anti Doug Jones stuff we saw would start off with Doug Jones wants to bathe in the blood of your infants. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Doug Jones. Yeah. Doug Jones. Doug Jones knows how many senators there are in Washington. <laughs> Doug Jones knows some of those politicians by name. <laughs> Doug Jones only likes puppies when they're spit roasted over an open fire. Oh my God. <laughs> They really, honest to God, I was wondering why we weren't mounting a a, a campaign to get to go to war against Doug Jones. Why is this man not in jail? <laughs> yeah, and then I see this. Then I see this one ad from Doug Jones. Out of the countless number of times I've seen, you know, Doug Jones wants to floss his teeth with your children's intestines. I see one ad from Doug Jones, and this poor man looks like he's about to have a nervous breakdown on his own TV ad, and he's looking right at the camera, and he says, I know y'all are seeing ads that say, I want to bathe in the blood of your babies. <laughs> But that's simply not true. For the love of God, I wouldn't vote for me either if that was true. <laughs> he did not say that, did he? <laughs> I mean, I was watching that and I was thinking, you poor, poor man. <laughs> he wasn't. I don't know. You know what he should have done? He should have been. He should have ran all of those times that Auburn beat Alabama. <laughs> under Tommy Tuberville and then said, is this the man you're going to vote for? <laughs> Roll <laughs> Tide. That's what he yeah. should have done. <laughs> well, that's the, this, this is the whole thing. He was, he didn't even, I don't even recall him asking for my vote in that. I think he was just pleading with me. Don't think I'm, I'm not out there killing children. <laughs> <laughs> God. The one I saw, he's just sitting there waving and goes, I'm Doug Jones, and I like Milo's hamburgers. Oh, man, that's got my vote. Oh, I haven't had a Milo's hamburger in forever. This ad paid for by the re-election com- committee to get for Doug Jones. <laughs> Who wants to bathe oh, in the blood of your man. children? 
You want to use I the blood should, of your I, children as Milo sauce for his I, burgers? I, I <laughs> <should>. <laughs> oh my God, we're not. I'm not saying that Milo's will sue us. <laughs> what is Milo sauce made of? <laughs> and it shows little babies on conveyor belts. <laughs> with this big metal chomper thing on chomp, chomp, chomp. He's just. I'm, I'm telling you, he was pleading with me not to believe the other commercials. He didn't even say, vote for me. <laughs> Man, who was running his campaign? I'm telling you, the campaign that would have worked was him running, like I said, all those victories that Tommy Tuberville, all, all three of them or whatever they were, against against Bama. No, all those times he held up his hand counting off. Yeah. Remember that? That that's yeah. what used to be Tuberville's thing. They should have they should he should have ran those. I mean, that would have definitely or just shown up at these things wearing crimson and gray. He should so, have dressed up like a big elephant. <laughs> so in short. <laughs> rather than vote a rather than vote a poor middle-aged lawyer that was somewhat reminiscent of Winnie the Poob in the office, we voted a football coach. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying I look like Winnie the Pooh? No. I'm We're saying, saying Doug you don't Jones. look like Doug Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Keith. Keith is saying you look like Doug Jones. I haven't weighed in on that. Keith, I just Keith. saw it as an opportunity to go off on all those. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Jones is going to set fire to your house, your house personally. <laughs> he knows where you live. <laughs> he has a phone. <laughs> Doug Jones has access to a book with your names and it's not a clause. Do you know where your baby's at? <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> Well, you Doug see, Jones I, does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, we got right one more. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah, there you go. All right, we got one more email from Miriam. Miriam asks, have any of you even read the Harry Potter books? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. All of them. Backward and forward. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I read the first couple chapters. I read the first couple chapters of Harry Potter, and I thought, no, "This is not for me." <laughs> I did see the movie or the first movie. Oh no, the movies aren't any good. Albert, did you read them? No, no. <laughs> this may or may not have anything to do with Doug Jones. <laughs> when the third book came out, my aunt came to me and she had all three books. And she said, my grandbabies really want to read these books, but my pastor is telling me, no, they're going to go to hell if they do. (laughs) But they're really, really wanting to read these books. So she asked me to read them and uh, report back on the Satanism inside. (laughs) I read the first three books and I told her point blank. I said, no, this is gobbledygook. I mean, she plays boggle with Latin to create magic words. Everything that J.K. Rowling sets up in these books, there's an action and an equal and opposite reaction to them. They have, you know, it's just fantasy. There's no real witchcraft in here at all or anything along those lines. So tell your pastor to screw off. Let your grandkids read the books. I got to tell you, Sandra, the first two books, the books grow as the children that we're reading them do. You mean in size? Uh, Well, not just in size, but in content. And then when you get to the seventh book, you go back and it points things out that have happened throughout the series. This woman had a plan. 
not only did she have a plan, but these seven books, the original seven books, are going to be taught in collegiate classes on story structure, content, plotting. She's extraordinary. These these books are something else. I really would encourage you, Sandra, to give them another go, keeping in mind that the first two books are going to be very simplistic and very straightforward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've read them, Miriam. Apparently, Sandra, the librarian, has better things to do with her time than read books. <laughs> I can't imagine what I would be doing other than reading books while I'm sitting on this podcast <laughs> and reading comic books. <laughs> Albert, what's your excuse for not reading Harry Potter? <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the pictures in the comic books, eh? Well, let, let, let me it just say It makes it this. easier. <laughs> I think... I've said this before because I've also only read the first Narnia book and I realized, yeah, this isn't for me either. (laughs) Narnia and maybe Harry Potter. Maybe I shouldn't say that. No, go ahead. (laughs) People become lifelong fans of those two fandoms if they read those books at a certain age. I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings when I was in the fifth and sixth grade, I think. I love those books. I read The Lord of the Rings one year later than you, but Mm -hmm. read The Hobbit at roughly the same corresponding time as you and did not, as as most of the listeners to this program know, did not fall in love with those books. I think you're safe on this. I think you're just going to appreciate it on a completely different level. As an adult, I wasn't getting from it what the kids got from it. Mm-hmm. I was just amazed at the way she was the author, J.K. Rowling, was handling this. It's extraordinary. It's a wonderful piece of storytelling. Do not go by the movies. The movies are crap. Well, the movies have Jason Isaacs as Malfoy. I mean, that was the whole reason why I went to the, the casting. <laughs> the casting is perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't get me wrong. The casting in the movie is absolutely 110% perfect. It's just that the movies are complete crap in comparison to the books. Well, I mean, they can't, especially those books that are like the size of a, a oh, dictionary. There are so many. They, can't, they can't get all that in a movie. No, it's not just the old standard. They can't put it into a movie situation. There are giant gaping plot holes that they leave in the movies that could easily have been filled. Mm. Well, I stopped watching the movies, I think, too, after trying to remember what. You you, You should give the books a chance. I think you'd enjoy them. I know Albert would. Albert, do you have anything to say to Mary as to why you haven't read the books? No, but I think the, the series of books I've read the most of is actually probably Vampire Hunter D. Really? Yeah. Isn't that there, a manga? No, it's not. They're novels. Yeah, they're, oh, I started to say okay. There is a manga, but uh, this was a novel, too. I have not read any of those. A lot of them are practically the same book because the way the writer does them, they're all... So many of them are structured the same exact way. The thing that drew me into it along that I never liked Narnia. I'm like Sandra. I think I read the first Narnia book, and and I and I think that was it. I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The book in front of it, I think I read. I think I was almost required to read it in the school I was going to, but I did not like it at all. I did not like at the time. I was too young to fully understand analogy, and I did not like Jesus, the magic messianic lion. (laughs) I also also felt there was some form of copyright infringement going on with Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) You were a precocious kid, weren't you, Stan? I had a set idea of the way things like Santa Claus should be. And if I saw something that didn't conform to that, it was clearly not canon. 
she? First off, Santa Claus drinks Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> and hangs out at Disney World a lot. Oh. No, he drinks Coca-Cola when he's at home. Well, that's <laughs> true. On the job, it's milk and cookies and hot cocoa. Well, you see, okay, I'm perfectly willing to accept that. I had well, a difficult well, you're going to have to because that's just the way it works. <laughs> I had a difficult time trying to wrap my mind around why Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer only showed up in the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer television specials and not anywhere else. <laughs> I was full on ready to accept Rudolph as full Santa Claus canon. Well, they just you know, needed him one that one time, Stan. But you know why he never shows up in any other cartoons, right? Because he doesn't exist. He didn't exist. <laughs> They just made him up. He was a marketing gimmick. They have a trademark. A company has a trademark on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He can only be used with that company's okay. That's why you don't see Rudolph in other popular Santa Claus fiction or Christmas cartoons or any of the other Rankin-Bass specials to just, you know, be painfully obvious about it. (laughs) A store had a booklet and then the cowboy. Robert Robert L. May. Yeah, yeah. Wrote the wrote the little story, and it was yeah. for a department store that no longer exists. The only way that department store exists or that company exists is by holding the copyright to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then it, it went off the charts popular when the cowboy set it to music. Cowboy? Yeah, you know the song? Yeah. Yes. It's Gene Autry. Yeah, Gene Autry, Gene the cowboy. Autry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew he was a cowboy, but I kept wanting to say Roy Rogers, and I knew damn well that wasn't. No, it wasn't Roy. Yeah, but it's Gene Autry. Yeah, it set it to music, and it just went off the charts, and he gained popularity. But Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is copyrighted and can only be used with that company's permission. That company only exists now because of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay. And I'm sure they make a bunch of money every year off of it, too. Oh, God, yeah, they do. I mean, Cracker Barrel, two weeks before Halloween, Cracker Barrel already had out all their Christmas stuff with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer all over the place. Cracker Barrel. Barrel. (laughs) All right. Y'all want to review some comic books? Yep, yep. Sure. (laughs) That's it, Sandra. Sound real enthused. (laughs) You clearly read a bunch of good books in this this week. All right. Let me redo that. Yes, I cannot wait to talk about the singular Namor appearance this week. It wasn't even good. It wasn't. I'm sorry. It was okay. It was okay. It wasn't bad. Well, you don't mind if we start off with Boom Studios first. (laughs) I guess. Boom Studios. Wicked Things, number six. Writer John Allison, artist Max Saren. This ends the Wicked Things series. I thought it was cute, fun, clever. The art is stylized specifically for the story, and it works perfectly within the confines of the story. I think the characters in the story are an excellent modern-day Nancy Drew, even better, given the clever dialogue and humor. This book's open to all ages. Look, you could do far worse than trying to get a kid into comic with wicked things. It's going to be out in trade paperback soon, so keep your eyes open for it. This is a really good, clever, fun book. I agree. Like one book on that we're going to review later, this book isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but for what they were going for, they did a very good job for it. I'm not drawn to things that look like Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys yeah. because I've read enough 
Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew books that when I was a kid that I was done with them. But this but, is a very good a, a very good version of, of those style books. Yes, know. it's at least entertaining. Those books are very dry. There's no, I'm not knocking them. I know a lot of us grew up on them, but come on, people. Those books were dry. This is not. This is fun, entertaining. I smiled a few times. Art keeps popping. So yeah, I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three. My score was 3.7. That's a fair score. I think I'll I'll give the overall thing that as well. Dark Horse Comics, Spy Island number three. <laughs> I, I didn't read Spy Island number three. I didn't get to it. I thought you guys weren't going to read it. <laughs> Writer Chelsea Kane, artist Elise McCall, and supplemental art by Leah Meidernick. I demand to know who is buying this. I'm willing to bet that the people buying this are responsible for most of society's problems. <laughs> I thought I thought it was people that were at the Cheesecake Factory were buying it. No, no, no. I said that uh, on issue number two, I said that this comic book and the interior of the comic book, specifically the supplemental art, you'll notice that I went out of my way to find out if the artist uh, who was doing the different style stuff in it, and it's Leah Meidernick had a wonderful career ahead of them in designing Cheesecake Factory menus because that's what this reminded me of. This story, I, I don't know what the hell's going on. This story, I've read issues number <laughs> one, two, and three twice a piece. As if it wasn't bad enough already, they do manage to drink a mime into issue number three. There is still no... Who are they going after? The one girl that gets mentioned the most is supposed to be the detective on this job. But she's not the one that ends up in the bed with that naked guy who comes out and is completely okay with being naked in front of everybody, uh, her mom and all of her friends or whoever it was. There's no coherency to any of this whatsoever. This point, I am just reading it so I can look at Leah Meidernick's supplemental art. That's the honest to God <laughs> truth. I am impressed with what she does by way of design. I, I assume Leah is a she. I am impressed with what Leah does by way of design in this book. I'm not as impressed with Elise McCall's artwork in it, but I am impressed with supplemental art by Leah Meidernick. What do you think, Albert? I hate this book. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I can't even read this book and get cheesecake brought to where I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I ordered coffee 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Coffee's cold by now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm just scanning this book right now, and I, I, I'm not reading it, but. It has so many funny things in it. Pedestrians celebrate sudden absence of street performer. <laughs> well, that was the mind thing. And that was that was actually that did actually make me chuckle there. But I forgot about it because <laughs> <laughs> Or the wanted poster for the Kraken. <laughs> That's Leah's Meiderneek's art. The wanted the, poster. The witness protection department field guide. And then the Disguises for the witness protection. <laughs> Just... <laughs> what did I? All of that, everything you're quoting, except for the missing mime thing. Everything you're quoting is from Leah Meidernick on that. I gave the writing a two. I gave the standard art a two, and I gave <laughs> the supplemental art by Leah Meidernick a four. 
And then I gave the dynamic a one. After <laughs> I do my version of algebra, we come out to the score of two for this book. <laughs> Albert, you're just going to score it. You hate it. <laughs> no, see, I got to give the I give the writing a two and the art a three, but I have to give the dynamic a five. I was about to say <laughs> sand flea parking only. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. See, that's Copy not that. funny. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Oh, look, they found their audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, look at this dog. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm not reading it. I'm just scanning the pictures right now because you sprung this on me. I thought there's absolutely no way they're going to read this. I'll just put this at the end of the pile and I'll read it after the podcast. <laughs> Neither Albert nor myself, and I think I'm safe in speaking for both of us, Albert. Tell me if I'm wrong. Think that you should spend money on this book. <laughs> You really shouldn't. <laughs> okay, Sandra thinks it's well worth it for whoever's doing the, the Cheesecake Factory audition. <laughs> it's Leah Meiderney is there doing is, this song. There is some hilarious... <laughs> I was beginning to suspect that Louis' interest in sand fleas was nefarious. <laughs> oh, gosh. You don't that's, think that's funny? <laughs> I think it's funny that you think it's funny. <laughs> Just, I'm not thinking it's funny. Ha ha, that you think it's funny. Ha-ha. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm stunned that you actually read it. I, honest to God, went back to look at the supplemental, what's being billed as the supplemental art. Isn't this the last one? I mean, it- God, I hope so. <laughs> Wait, how is this the last one that didn't resolve anything? <laughs> That's okay. There wasn't that much of a story to begin with to resolve. I think it's something to do with mermaids eating people, maybe. Yeah, but mermaids always eat people. What I mean, are these unless, it, unless you're in the doing? Disney universe. DC Comics. I'm hearing some rumors about the Green Lantern HBO Max series. Albert, have you heard anything? Uh, a little bit. What'd you hear? I heard Guy Pierce as Sinestro. Well, I didn't. Know, I don't know nothing about that. Sandra, have Guy you heard anything? Guy Pierce as like Sinestro. Some, that sounds like some made-up malarkey. I don't know. Guy Pierce hasn't done a lot lately, but. Yeah, I'm hearing Guy Pierce as Sinestro, but that that's very shaky. What do you think of that casting if it's true? It would work. He's a fantastic act- actor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see him as Sinestro. I think the Sinestro they had in the movie was actually the best Sinestro. Yeah, Mark he did Strong. a great job. Mark Strong, yeah. He's awesome as Sinestro. But he's awesome <laughs> in anything he does. Yeah, he he really, really is. So what are you hearing about it? What am I hearing about it? Yeah, you said you've heard a few things, and I said Guy Pierce is an Estro. Well, I mean, no, not nothing. Just, just the older stuff. Like it wouldn't be Hal; it would be other ones, and then Hal would be saved for like a bigger project or movie. Yeah, ne- neither Hal nor John are in it. It's still Guy and Simon Boz and uh, Jessica Cruz, Guy Gardner, Sinestro, Kilowog, Alan Scott, actually. But I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I don't necessarily want to see Alan Scott as a modern Green Lantern. No. It sounds like they've got their plate full with with that cast anyway, with uh, having to cast those characters. But yeah, I was just hearing Guy Pierce as Sinestro. I think it'd be I think he'd be a good choice. I like Mark Strong as Sinestro, but I don't know that Mark Strong would want to take up that role indefinitely. Uh, I don't know what his experience with the Green Lantern movie was. Yeah. I don't know about that either. So we haven't heard anything else on the uh, Strange Adventures or anything. We know that uh, Titans is getting incorporated into HBO Max. Doom Patrol's already there. Anything new on the Snyder Cut? 
Is Toby Maguire done shooting his scene? <laughs> Didn't they get into some trouble for their trailer music? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand know. how they how they got in trouble with it now. Like it's been out for long enough; it should have already came up. Oh, uh, weren't they playing? What was it? They were playing Hallelujah. I, I mean, they have, oh, they yeah, have almost yeah, that ruined. Was it. Zack Snyder has almost ruined that song for me. He's almost ruined DC Comics in general for me. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, Albert. (laughs) Warner Brothers has an extensive music library, most of which they stole from Prince. How could they get in trouble for something that Warner Brothers has the copyright to? I don't know, but they got in trouble for it. In trouble has in legal trouble or in trouble has in bad taste? As in they're not supposed to use it. Yeah. There's a rights issue. They don't know the rights to it. What you see now? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wonder Brothers Records had the right to wait. It, it was it a different version of Hallelujah? Mm, not that I'm aware of. It's uh, than the one they played in Watchmen because Wonder Brothers has the legal copyright to the one they played in Watchmen. Why would they have the legal copyright to that? That well, Just, not necessarily. I'm I'm saying copyright, but would have the right to use it because it's out on Warner. Yeah, Records. but they have what? Hallelujah is like Prince's. Remember when Prince started calling himself the artist formerly known as Prince? That's the Leonard Cohen version on both of them. I don't, it may be a different mixed version, but it's still the Leonard Cohen singing both that, versions. That's what I'm saying. Uh, the reason Prince started calling himself the uh, artist formerly known as Prince is because he was objecting to Warner Brothers, the way Warner Brothers handles his music. Same uh, similar situation going on with Kanye West, where he was peeing it's on not, his Grammy in the toilet. It's not owned by Warner Brothers. It's oh, it's the not? Label, the label, it came out on Columbia, so it's owned by Sony. Sony? Yeah, I I mean, now they could have bought the right. They could have cleared the rights to use it for that scene with Watchmen. That doesn't mean that they have it forever. Also, the Cohen Cohen estate could own that song, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that depends. Most of the music, if you contract with Sony or Warner, you have very little leeway concerning their control of your music. Sony, if you're listening, here's your chance. Settle out of court for all of the Warner Brother properties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah just tell AT&T you will completely drop any potential lawsuit if they just hand over all the Warner Brother properties to you right now <laughs> ooh then you could have Superman fight Venom <laughs> you could tells uh oh tells from the DMV what is that Albert <laughs> So I was wondering why you wrote that. Tells from the Department of Motor Vehicles. Hush. <laughs> <laughs> dark multiverse. I'm sorry. Tells from the dark multiverse. Hush. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have abbreviated that. And I thought, no, how how on earth would you forget dark multiverse? <laughs> Just like that. Right out of my mind. It could have been tales from the death metal first. Uh, well, for a brief moment, I entertained that idea, and I thought no <laughs> Department of Motor Vehicles would be more promising. <laughs> tales from the dark multiverse. Hush. Writer Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Sergio Fernandez Davila and Dexter Soy. Thought it was very bad. Yeah, it didn't live up to the promise set by the other ones, did it? No, and the art. 
here's the problem with art. The art could have been, even if the art was the same, it could have been good. But what they do at the front of that, they have that big recap page of the original Hush. Yeah. Where the guy draws pretty much, he redraws Jim Lee art. Yeah. It, looks, it all looks terrible. So even though the rest of the comic looks better than that page, it just makes the rest of the comic book look terrible as well. Yeah, it just reminds you of how good the Jim Lee Hush was. Yeah. I mean, Hush was the best thing the man ever drew, so... This didn't even live up to the promise of Dark Multiverse. This was just kind of like a meh multiverse. It wasn't wasn't good, it wasn't bad. It it definitely wasn't good. It was bad. It didn't do Um, enough with it. Well, I thought of everything... Everything you could get, all the divergent Batman origin storylines, and we go with this, this assumed a great deal. I, I just at no point did I buy it. I did not think this was a great start for something I was looking forward to. And I was looking forward to Tales from the Dark Multiverse. It felt contrived. There is no surprises, no startling revelations. Me personally, I've never been a big Hush fan, but I can't imagine that this was a story that anybody was asking for or wanted to see. I'm not even sure how this one got greenlit. This is not a stout start to this, and I I was kind of looking, I was looking forward to this situation. At least we got Tempest Fuginot back. He's the watcher. It's just not interesting, you know? No, it was worse than the worst of the previous Dark Multiverse tales. I gave the writing a two. The art, I gave a two. The dynamic, I gave a two. My score was twos across the board. I gave the writing a dynamic two, but I gave the art of one. Art of one. Because the Jim Lee stuff really bothered you that much? Like, really bad. Really bad. Yeah, well, I mean, it was noticeable to me, but I thought, okay, quit pretending to be Jim Lee. If you're going to do this, why not just cut and paste the Jim Lee art? Because then you got to pay Jim Lee. I think they're already paying Jim Lee, unless he's owned by Sony, too. (laughs) Could be. Sweet Tooth, The Return. Writer and artist Jeff Lemire. I thought this was fine. You need to you do need to be familiar with the previous material to actually enjoy this or to have any idea where you are in it. You don't necessarily have to read it, but there's stuff that even in this first issue that that goes on and you don't know what any of it is. They do explain the timeline, Sweet Tooth's on, like we're we're three hundred years removed from the original comic. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, and they explain here's how things used to be with the animal people, but here's where we're at now. But you need to know who Sweet Tooth is before this comic, and you need to know who Jeopard is, too, as well. This was billed as a reimagining, but this is actually a sequel. Yeah. So you do need to be familiar with the original Sweet Tooth run, which is not a bad thing. That was a pretty good run. That was a pretty good book. I always really liked it. I thought it was a great run. Yeah. You liked it more than I did, but I liked it. It was good. Jeff Lemire has a good story here. If you're familiar with Sweet Tooth, if you enjoyed the first run, then you're going to enjoy this first issue of The Return. It's a promising next chapter in Lemire's quirky little animal Sweet Tooth universe saga thing going on. Yeah. I gave it an overall score of three. Lemire's artist and writer on it, and he knows where he's going with it, so it all works out in the storytelling. I gave the writing and art a four. I gave the dynamic a three because they don't explain enough, but I have a feeling that in issue two, they're going to probably do a big info dump. Yeah. Probably lay out what's going on, so... Victor and Nora, a Gotham love story. Writer Lauren Miracle, artist Isaac Goodhart. 
This is a trade paperback aimed at the young adult crowd. I'd like to think that tweens aren't swayed by this, but given the success of Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, I know that they can be. It's definitely going to hit with some of its target market, but not all of them. It's not going to be anything revolutionary nor really talked about a year from now. They've done this with Beast Boy, too, and a couple of... I think they did this with Raven also. Uh, This is probably part and parcel of what we're headed toward with the Omniverse, where we take two established characters from DC Comics and we put them in a completely different dynamic with some familiar signposts. We hit familiar notes with them. So you can say, oh, yeah, Mr. Freeze, because he's doing this, or they have the same names and this love story. It, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't It wasn't good. But of course, it's not aimed at me. I try to take that into account. But also, I've read far better young adult novel or young adult trade paperbacks than this as well. I know they named at me, but I still thought it was absolutely terrible. I'm not going to go full Monty and say absolutely terrible. It just, I'm going to be honest here. I'm kind of showing my cards here. I, honest to God, was hoping for something more significant to their romance in this, given what I knew this was going to be. And instead, it gave every standard tug at teenage heartstrings, platitude, oh, mysterious illness I'm dying of, considering suicide, oh, woe is me, the only love of my life, my father loves me, but he does I mean, all of this, it's very hackneyed. It's not anything you haven't seen a thousand places yeah. over. Honest to God, I think they're diluting their own market by retelling this exact same story over and over again. But at the same time, you can go ahead and get ready to see this done a lot with the DC characters. I gave the writing a two. I gave the art a four. The art was pretty good. I liked the color play of the hot and cold. I think that was the most clever thing about the book was the way they handled the colors throughout, even though it only has like three or four colors in it. But I still thought it was very clever the way they handled it. I gave the dynamic a one. My score on this was a 2.3. Well, I gave the art a three. Art was fine, but the writing of dynamic, I gave a one. This is not something that would fly with my niece when she was 14, 13, 14 years old. By comparison, there was a young adult novel called To the Stars, set in the Star Wars universe, that just completely drew her into it. I had way more of a love story to it. It wasn't... Was it incest between Luke and Leia? No. No, it was not. (laughs) What was it? It was really, really well done. Uh, There's been a novel of it and a manga of it, and it keeps getting brought up that, oh, look, they're going to do a special or something more with it. And I think they should. But basically, it starts off following these two, I think they're 10 or 11-year-old kids that live on the same planet with a caste system on Empire Day. One year after the Empire has come into existence, Grand Moff Tarkin, or at the time Moff Tarkin, is coming to this planet that they've incorporated into the Empire and is going to bring great wealth to because they're going to mine there. And this is going to be a very important planet to the Empire. And the two kids are both ecstatic Uh, They think the Empire is the be-all and end-all of everything. Over the course of them growing up together and going to the Imperial Academy and falling for each other, one of them learns what the Empire actually is, and the other one does not learn it quick enough. It plays all the way throughout their lives to the Star Destroyer that you see on Jakku in Episode 7, the young woman 
well, she wasn't young at the time it crashed, but uh, the Empire was down to whoever it could find, and she was in command of that Star Destroyer that crashed on Jakku. But it was a very touching story. You know? I recommend you look it up if you haven't read it or seen it. Into the Stars, Star Wars. This book wants to be that, and it's not. Aren't you sorry you asked now? <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I slapped a Star Wars review into the middle of DC Comics. Ha ha ha. To round out DC Comics this week, Batman number 101 by Tynan IV, Tiny Onion himself, T4, and artist Carlos Pagulayan. Man, we still seem to be dragging from the Joker War, don't we? I think Tynion went in there with the idea that issue 100 was he, he was finished. So he had just run the 100 completely planned out with the big finale finish and everything. They're like, hey, keep going. He's like, well, okay. Even though it's still the same writer, issue 101 and everything feels like a, a new writer trying to st- establish what they wanted to do. It feels like he didn't have an outline for it. He wasn't prepared. And I think that is the case. Tynion is tight on everything else. Yeah. I mean, he's extraordinary talent. Uh, He has been on Batman. It's just these last two issues kind of feel out of sync with what he was doing before. There is nothing really new nor dynamic here. It's just the first run-in and a little bit of a backstory on its Ghostmaker, right? The new character. So who that? Yeah. Ghostmaker. Yeah, it's Ghostmaker. And so you get a little bit on him, but we knew this was coming. There's nothing extraordinary. Like Albert says, it feels like he's filling his way around for the second time. I'm in full agreement. And I think he was taken aback by having to continue Batman after 100 and is still trying to find his footing post-Joker War. It, it may also be that we're only killing time until they replace Bruce Wayne with whoever is next in the Omniverse after the death metal stuff. So. I still love Tynan. I thought the art was okay. I gave it threes across the board. I gave the art a four, but I gave the writing a dynamic of three. Okay, so you gave it a 3.7. I gave it yeah. a three. Image Comics. Crossover number one, writer Donnie Cates with art by Jeff Shaw. I was not expecting to immediately fall in love with this comic. As soon as I read the first page, I knew Stan's going to love this. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about Superman. (laughs) This is exactly what I'm talking about. Donnie Cates knows what's going on. Donnie Cates and Grant Morrison, a handful of other writers, they know what's going down and they know what's coming. You've, You've got to go get this book right now. Cates is quickly cementing himself as comics premier authority. If anyone deserves the moniker of true believer, it's Donnie Cates. Wait a minute. I thought true believer was for Marvel fans. Well, it's something Stan Lee would call people. That means, yes. you know, it's it's come to be more than just Marvel. It has. Yes. Stan also knew that eventually we're going to will the superheroes into existence. And that's why he called us true believers all the time. That plays into it. Well, actually, I think true believer predates Stan, but Stan kind of appropriated it for Marvel. That's that's exactly right. Yes, true believer predated Stan, but Stan appropriated it because he knows that ultimately through our beliefs, we're calling superheroes into existence. For more of that, you should read Grant Morrison's novel. What's Grant Morrison's novels called? Super Gods. Super Gods. That's it. I was looking on the bookshelf and I can't see it from here. But yes, uh, Super Gods. I can go back. I can give you case after case. First off, Stanley running around telling everybody true believers. Secondly, what was the what was the tagline for Superman, the motion picture in 1978, Sandra? Um, I don't remember. You will believe a man can fly. That's right. They told you point blank. You will believe a man can fly. That was another major step. And they did it. 
they made us believe a man could fly. And now the Marvel Cinematic Universe has a whole is advancing the entire concept by playing with multiple realities, the Infinity Gauntlet, and so on and so forth. Now, eventually, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be a cataclysm or something along those lines, and our universe is going to collide with one with actual super beings in it, or a super being will posit themselves in this reality somehow, some way. And Colorado is going to be ground zero for that, just like Cates says in this book, because this is not the first time in one of these books that Colorado is ground zero for it. DC Comics has often used Colorado for ground zero in many calamities, and most famous Secret Wars used the original Secret Wars used Colorado when it got whirled away from Earth and is part of the original battle world. So I'm telling you right now, they're coming and they're going to show up in Colorado. <laughs> Question: okay. It's probably Montana. No, no, no it's not I, Montana. nobody ever I, brings I, up Montana. I, I'm sure it's because the... Montana doesn't really exist. <laughs> Oh my God! It's the I don't. I've never again. been to Montana, and I don't know of anyone that's been to Montana. My brother's been to Montana. Your brother thinks he's been to Montana, <laughs> or your brother's telling you he's been to Montana. No, I'm pretty sure he's been to Montana. How are you sure? Well, I seen the video. Oh no! Come on, Sandra. No, that was Nebraska. <laughs> Sandra, there's a video floating around out there of me in uniform on the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, well, I've been on the Starship the, Enterprise. To get back to the. Uh, <laughs> book <laughs> to uh, crossover. I think what's going to be kind of interesting is to, when I get more of a chance to actually look at the book more closely, and in this case, it might be digital, might actually be better to see all the little, who the superheroes are that are in there. I know there was some panels I think he took from Shazam or something. There was some some questionable, I don't want to say backlash, but there was uh, one that got changed because somebody said, hey, wait a minute, because I thought I saw the thing in there. You see close approximations of them. There is no identifiable situation except for one character that a little girl draws at the end. And there's no mistaking who she's drawn. I don't know how they're going to pull this off, though, given copyrights being what it is right now. I don't think he's going to show up. Oh, I'd love it if he did. Oh, yeah, you could you could have Superman show up. There's ways you can do that. That would be awesome. That would be out of this world. I'd love to see Donny Cates actually write Superman into this. What did y'all think of the two dichotomizing quotes at the beginning of the book? Kids love chains. <laughs> the world of the comic book is the world of the strong, the ruthless, the bluffer, the shrewd deceiver, the torturer, and the thief. In comic books, life is worth nothing. There is no dignity of a human being. Frederick Wortham, Seduction of the Innocent. And then we follow that up with <laughs> Kids Love Chains, Todd McFarlane. <laughs> he's got a good point. I, I, well, he's, I think he's he built a career on it, hasn't he? Yes. <laughs> Kids Love Chains. I thought this book was outstanding. I loved it to death. I'm looking forward to it. This was a very pleasant surprise. And the artwork was outstanding all the way through it, the way he jumps from realism to pseudo-realism, the combination of the two, and then the direct comic book type art to let you know that they're two-dimensional. A bulletin board on the side of the road that reads, God hates masks. Pray the capes away. (laughs) Yeah, pray the capes away. (laughs) 
And, of course, the comic book stuff on the inside. This was a very well-done comic. I have to agree. Yeah, yeah, it is a great book. I actually read it earlier, right when we was talking. This is great stuff. Donnie Cates is knocking it out of the park. I gave it straight fives. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give it straight fives, too. Mm, I'll say maybe fours. And that's why they will not appear to you first, Sandra, when they come. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. I don't want a big bubble over me cutting me off from the rest of the world. (laughs) I don't know. I'm pretty good with that. But yeah, highly recommend crossover number one. I wanted to do something. I have a, we have a mutual friend. His last name is Hit Albert, so you know who he is. Yeah, he's been um, contacting me and saying I don't have a way of looking at these books and deciding if I want them or not because I'm bereft of a good comic book shop and so on and so forth. So I wanted to create something called the Hit List, where I could actually say this one is good enough for Mister Hit to go out and buy. <laughs> Well, we're not going to do that because that's just plain ridiculous. I am going to say to Mr. Hit, you are going to want to pick up crossover number one. So there you go. If it's good enough for Mr. Hit, it's good enough for the rest of you. Boy, y'all are just balls of excitement tonight, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to keep up with everything here. Like, oh, did I read that? Did I read that? Okay. <laughs> Marvel Comics. Atlantis Attacks, number four. Uh. Writer Greg Pack, artist Ario Anandito, and Robert Gill. What has happened to Greg Pack? Why why is he writing this? (laughs) He's trying to sneak an ending to his Agents of Atlas arc. So this is just really another, they're calling it Atlantis Attacks, but it's really just the Agents of Atlas book. All of of this seems like a great waste of Namor's time. I agree. <laughs> I, mean, I was reading it and I was thinking, my God, Namor, are you as bored as I am? The thing is, Greg Pack is, I don't know, like, I remember, like, you know, he did, of course, Planet Hulk, which was effing amazing. Excuse my French. Yeah. Yeah. His run and, on Incredible Hulk beforehand was amazing. And, and didn't he do Incredible Hercules? He and Fred Valente did Incredible Hercules. I don't know. There's times like he is completely on fire and then there's other times. He did the Storm book. Do you remember Storm's ongoing yes. book that only lasted six issues? Yeah, um, that wasn't bad. And that was supposed to be his favorite character. But I don't know. He just, uh, I don't know if he gets distracted or or what. But sometimes his writing is fantastic and sometimes it's. If it's his Agents of Atlas thing and he's mm-hmm. refusing to let it go, he does need to let this go. But to me, this is just bland storytelling to keep a bunch of third and fourth tier characters in print instead of letting them develop into well-defined characterization in the background of books that have some real connection to them. Amadeus Cho was a threat and a half without ever being Hulk boy or whatever we're calling him. Mm-hmm. When he was just his intellect and a kid, my God, he was awesome. Silk would be so much more interesting in one of Spider-Man's books as a counterpoint to Mary Jane. She's and, in one of the Spider-Man books. She's in the Spider-Man book. Yeah, but not being used as a counterpoint to Mary Jane. She's only there in as much as Spider-Gwen and the rest of them are there. Yeah. 45 Spider-Women to contend with. Silk's going to get lost in the mess. But she was when she was introduced, that was a good story wrinkle for Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. This is just the team book, and I think Namor's there to justify what's going on. 
I don't have anything for this. I love a lot of Greg Pak's work, but I'm not on board with this. I don't think his take on Agents of Atlas could have sustained an ongoing, but Marvel wanted this team. So they gave us, quote unquote, an ongoing, but they kept it surviving by making it a series of miniseries. And that's what Atlantis Attacks is the last of the miniseries. To me, it's clear the reason why they wanted this, because this is not the Agents of Atlas that I know. Agents of Atlas that I know is Jimmy Woo and Namora, the Uranian, you know, the one that Jeff Parker put together. The Agents of Atlas that Greg Pak is interested in is the all-Asian team. I think that's part of the reason why it doesn't really work, because it's kind of like, well, we're going to have the all-Asian team, okay? What they need to do is find interesting dynamics against characterizations, that characters that play off of each other, and stop. The, the diversification will come naturally. Marvel is a diverse enough reality that multiple races and the different genders and everything are going to be represented. It's more important to find stories to tell with characters that are interesting when having to work together. And I'm not finding these characters interesting to have to work together. Yeah, if you follow Greg Pak, he's very hyped about the team and the whole premise. Albert, anything? I could have read something different than this. <laughs> you could have read Spy Island. No, <laughs> you did read Spy Island. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I read I, that too. I, yeah, I wasn't that impressed with it. I gave the writing a two, the art a three, and the dynamic a one. My score for Atla- uh, Atlantis Attacks is two. We'll just say that's my score, too. <laughs> I will probably give the art a two on this also. But so, yeah, my score is probably lower than yours. Avengers number 38, writer Jason Aaron and art by Ed McGinnis. I wasn't going to even review it, but there was a mega, mega rewriting of the Marvel Universe. There was not a mega rewriting of the Marvel Universe history in this. There's just an incident thrown in with Mephisto to show that he's been around since the beginning of Marvel's Earth, it being Satan. Other than Blade referring to Thor, his Norse Jesus, which, oh my God. Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology comic issue number three came out this week. Jason, go pick it up and read it or read the book. You're you're way off base on that unless you're going to try to make Thor into that. In which case, I'm begging with you, please don't. <laughs> That's I not think, what Thor is. I think is. that was just supposed to be Blades. Which is... Blades which take is, on Thor, not... Not Jason Aaron's take that's, on Thor. Yeah, that's fine if it is, but I am so... You don't know what to do with this anymore. Kanushu had, you know, Kanshu or whatever, you know, Kanichiwa had control of the Earth last issue. But thanks to the Phoenix Force taking control of Mark Spector or joining with Mark Spector, he no longer has the control of the Earth. Where's the Phoenix Force? It's nesting on a mountain. On a mountain. Make it stop. Please make it stop. Are, are you are you trying to make death metal look good? Cause you are. Is that what you want? That's me. You're mean. <laughs> <laughs> I liked most of this issue minus the Phoenix stuff. I just don't think Phoenix is something they should just pull out the way they do. Yeah. No, I and it's not. It's not. And I'm going to give you a case in point. I try not to bring up John Byrne's website, Burn Robotics, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But I'm going to tell you this. John Byrne created 13 issues of an X-Men series called X-Men Elsewhere. Marvel and John Byrne could not come to an agreement on publishing it. 
So what he did was he published most all of this on his website, Burn Robotics. It's just the pencils and his writing it, but they are complete stories. I'm here to tell you point blank, if you want to understand what the Phoenix Force is and how it works, go to read that. If you want to be able to look at another comic book and not judge the art harshly, maybe you should stay away from burnrobotics.com because John Byrne is a master and a half, and he still is. And when you look at the breakdown on that comic book, when you look at all the work he put into it, the dialogue and everything else, I have no idea why Marvel didn't publish it other than the fact that he gives the definite, he, he literally defines Phoenix as to what he and Claremont originally intended all those years ago. Okay. It, I assume it, they didn't publish it because somewhere in there it's John Byrne's fault. I know he's a jerk to work with, but I am point blank telling you this should have been published. This should have been published. All it needed was inks and coloring. And hell, it doesn't even really need that. The name of the series is X-Men Elsewhere. John Byrne started publishing it on burnrobotics.com, his his webpage, back in 2019. And there's roughly 16 issues of it. And it's got almost every Marvel superhero in there. It's got the Fantastic Four. It's got Spider-Man. It's got the Avengers. It's got Namor. It's got the Silver Surfer. It takes place after the Dark Phoenix saga, and offers an alternate ending to it. It offers the ending that he and Chris Claremont had uh, originally planned before Jim Shooter ordered that Phoenix be killed. You look at these pages, and they're just absolutely masterful. They, you see the time that he takes working on each of them, the buildings, the houses. He's not photocopying a damn thing in this. All of it is by his hand. My God, I can't help but be impressed. I know John Byrne's a jerk, but that doesn't make me appreciate his mastery over his craft any less. So if you want a really good X-Men story, if you want to know what we're missing out on, please go to Burn Robotics or just Google X-Men Else Win, E-L-S-E, Win, one word. You heard that, well, Sandra? Namor's yes. in it. <laughs> Doubt that, but no, he is. He's he's in it. I'm trying to remember here. Well, oh, 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 it's Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, Avengers. Yeah. Thirty. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm just yeah. so. It's, it's it's another hot mess. That's all I got to say. And whatever he's planning to do with the Phoenix, just from what we've seen of the Phoenix so far, it's just. Well, we know what he's planning to do with it. The Phoenix is going to have a tournament to decide who gets to be his host. Namer's going to be one of the people, and I'm like, okay, great. Here's another another chance for Namer to get trashed. So somebody else in the Avengers, Black Panther, <laughs> looks good. No, thank you. I have no no desire to read this. I think Aaron has a bunch of ideals, but it, the way he's just thrown them in the salad bowl and tossed everything and then spit it out at us has just... I think he's making this specifically what his version of an over-the-top comic book is. In his past writings, he's been subtle. He's been bold. He's been very creative. He's been very original. And I don't think he's lost that ability. I think he's writing this over-the-top on purpose. I'm just not sure what that purpose is. It's just killing the Avengers and it's killing me. It's, uh, it, to me, he's almost trying to go for... 
Jeff Loeb's Batman Superman run. Oh my God. Yeah. But I don't think he's asking the artist what he wants. I think he's giving the artist stuff to draw. But when Loeb wrote Batman Superman run, which I actually really like most of that run, a lot of that I think Loeb just sort of asked the artist what they wanted to draw and then he just made a story around it. Yeah, I enjoyed the Superman Batman run too. And Ed McGinnis was uh, the lead artist on that for several issues. Jeff Loeb's the Superman Batman run is mostly four story arcs. If I remember right, Ed McGinnis did the bookends. The way some of those artists talk, they just told Jeff Loeb what the characters they wanted to draw, so he just stuck them in the book. I don't know that that's what's going on here. I'm just really disappointed in it. There's a lot of hype going on about how, oh, he's changed Marvel history. He's not changed anything. He's inserted it into... Okay, so Mephisto is responsible for pissing the Hulk off throughout his life. All right, fine. Not a problem. Well, I mean, you know. basically he's saying, too, that the change is something of, to the effect that the whole reason why Earth has all the superpower stuff, and everybody seems to want to claim this, is because of Mephisto. I mean, there was a panel in there that I'm assuming that's what he's saying is like, because the celestial was infected and the infection is what by Mephisto. And that is what caused the mutants and the superpowers and all this other stuff. So I'm like, really? That doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, they're trying to tie all that crap to the first. They try to tie it to the Cree experiments and then they try to tie it to the Eternals. Well, it's just uh, an Earth. It's just a reality that has superpowered beings on it. Well, I'm willing to accept Marvel that. I don't do. need an excuse for it. And stop using the Phoenix like this. You can come up with a hundred thousand other plot devices aside from the Phoenix Force. It is a Phoenix Force. We had defined terms on this. I just, eh, I gave the writing a two. I gave the art a five. Ed McGinnis is awesome, and I gave the dynamic a one. My score on this was two point seven. I'm giving the writing a one. I'm going to give the art like a 2.5, the dynamic a one. I gave the art a five, dynamic a three, and the writing a one. Web of Venom one-shot, Empire's End. Writer Clay McLeod Chapman and art by Guy Villanova. It's a preamble to the Null event. Has very little, if anything, to do with Empire other than the Kree and the Scrolls are together, which I think we just take as given at this point. Maybe skip it unless you're a completist for the Venom Null stuff. You've seen this before. It's the movie Aliens, but with symbiotes and Krees and Scrolls. Well, I liked it. I thought it was a... Very well done. I didn't have much of a problem with it. I don't know why they slapped Empire's name on it instead of just keeping it as a web of venom situation. Yeah, I don't know either. Crease and scrolls, but in reality, it's, I mean, they name drop Hulkling, and that's about it. it nobody's going to question this. All you have to say is the Crease and scrolls are working together now, and nobody's going to think anything yeah. like that. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. Maybe you can save a little money here if you're not a diehard Venom guy or gal. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a three. I gave the dynamic a two. My score was 2.7. I thought it was actually, you know, a really good book. I mean, it took it a a couple pages to get going, but I I really enjoyed it. I gave the uh, writing a four, the art uh, a three, and dynamic a four. I'm more excited for the Null event than I thought I would be. But this didn't do anything to aid in that excitement for me. But you liked it. Yeah. Thor, number nine, by writer Donnie Cates and art by Nick Klein. This was unexpected, and it's possibly the beginning of the deconstruction of the character of Thor in a very similar vein that Ewing is doing in Immortal Hulk. I don't know if I'd go that far, but 
It was a great issue. It really was. Nobody saw this coming. Donald Blake is back. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> But that beyond that, anything else would spoil it. So, Well, you see, here's the nice thing about this. Even as a kid, when I learned that Thor himself was Donald Blake, but we learned that after Donald Blake is a fully well-rounded character with his own life. Mm-hmm. And then just to suddenly learn that he doesn't really exist, that he's been Thor the entire time because Odin is teaching Thor a lesson. It was a different take on the Captain Marvel Shazam situation. Yeah. Thor incorporates, dear Lord, Thor incorporates the Shazam element into it, incorporates King Arthur, Arthurian legends into it, and everything else when Stan and Jack were doing the main Thor title. And one of the things that did always bother me was, you know, we saw, I mean, this, he was a doctor. He had to have a medical degree. I understand Odin is Odin, but still, we need a little more explanation here. And uh, Donny Cates, <laughs> low 45 years later, <laughs> or in the case of the comic book, low 65 years later, kind of starts to fill that out. Who is Donald Blake when he's not Thor? Yeah. Thought it was a wonderful angle on it. Uh, Cates, Ewing, and Hickman are really, really entrenching themselves as the architects for the House of Ideas. They're all sort of similar in that they're breaking the characters down. I gave Thor number nine. I gave it straight fives. I did not. I gave the writing a dynamic a five, but I gave the art like a three. Art like a three. I thought Nick Klein yeah. was really on game in this. Average art, but it didn't negatively affect the book to me at all. X-Men number 14. X of Swords, Ten of Swords, part 12 of 22. Writer Jonathan Hickman and art by Linnell Yu. It was fine. It was more of the apocalypse Akaro backstory, but I'm I'm really done with the backstory. I'd like to get on with this now. I think, yeah, this is more apocalypse gobbledygook nonsense, yeah. but I, it seems like after this issue, they may be, th- th- this is it. Well, you see, I was... There doesn't seem to be much they can really cover anymore on that. I think we've said all we have to say about the uh, prehistory of Apocalypse before he became the Apocalypse we all know and love. Still, I was thinking, no, this is enough of it. This is enough of it. This is enough of it. I gave the writing on X-Men number 14 a three. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a three. My score was 3.3 on this. As much as I tire of it, I still gave the writing a four. Like, Hingman's still a fantastic writer. And it's still yeah. interesting. It's just that on these apocalypse issues, it sort of meanders along to some extent. My impatience uh, with it is yeah. what dropped it to three for me. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, the dynamic a three. Okay, good enough. It's well, still well worth reading. I was just getting very impatient. But boy, it all paid off because next up is Marauders number 14, Ten of Swords crossover, part 13 of 22, writer Jerry Dugan and Benjamin Percy with art by Stefano Caselli. Now we are getting somewhere. (laughs) Are we? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We were definitely getting somewhere in Marauders number 14. I'm pretty sure Saturnine or Saturn. Saturnine. Saturnine. That, that won't kill her. Spoiler work, by the way. I don't know what he's thinking, but clearly he's got something going on there. He he thinks there's something to that. I thought it was awesome. I thought the storm dialogue between Storm and Death was outstanding. Magic and Gorgon testing the metal of the others at the dinner. The whole setup is this is the elaborate, supposedly civil dinner that the X-Men, the mutants, are having with the Ekora inhabitants, Apocalypse descendants, 
before the big tournament, before the big deal goes down, the battles go down. Basically, Magic and Gorgon are testing the metal of a few of them there by their little tricks. And Wolverine, Wolverine just being Wolverine, the best there is of what he does. It's just sheer awesome sauce. It more than made up for the slower pace of the last couple of X-Men books. I gave this one fives across the board. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. The dialogue is outstanding. Yeah, I'll give it five. I thought this was a real great issue. Like I said, I question the stupidity of Wolverine in this book. There's something there because Storm sanctioned it. Remember, we also mentioned that Scott's not in this event. Yeah. So maybe this is part of, maybe Scott somehow tied into this plan or aware of it or something. So. Well, I know, I know the books that we're reading are all X-Men centric and not following around the, uh, you know, the adversaries necessarily. But if you look at it, the X-Men have four or five situations going on here. Wolverine's got his situation going on in this book. But aside from that, Scott and Magic have been talking in code in several of these issues, leading you to believe that they've got some sort of strike force or something in play should things go south. And then you've got Sinister and his team of Hellions that are specifically out to screw up the opposing team before anything gets started. So the mutants are playing some dirty pool here. Yeah, I mean, they, they got a plan, but I think at the end of it, they're still going to have to get, have sword fights here. Oh, yeah, I, that's coming. That's definitely coming. Hickman's got something up his sleeve. I don't want to say I love it when they play fast and loose with morality, but yeah, I, I love it when they play fast and loose in morality, and it's grounded. It's not for the sake of doing it. For the mutants, this is survival. Yeah. It's always been about survival, and I, I can understand and appreciate that. Hickman's using Jaspers in this book. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to do a callback to that Alan Moore, Captain Britain stuff with the Fury oh, and all that. I'm sure he is. Oh, how did you like what Wolverine was saying to Brian Braddock? Oh, it was like, hey, if you just slept with her, this would all be done. Yeah, if you just screwed he's her, got a good point. this would be going on. Yeah, and that's point blank. I love it. Just love it. Because that sounds like something Wolverine would say. <laughs> yeah, it would seem like, given the situation, is that any of the X-Men would, would say that the Braddock. Generally, you know, if you speaking, just slip with sleep with there, we don't have to do this. So, generally speaking, most of your standard X Men are too polite to say that, except for Kitty Pride and, and Wolverine or Magic. I could see Magic saying it. And that rounds out the comic books for the week. But we've got a few special mentions coming up, and the special mentions are going to be things we may or may not have read, but we're going to bring to your attention real quick anyway, just in case you want to pick it up. And we're going to start off with Wolverine Black, White, and Blood. Issue number one came out. It's a Wolverine anthology series. It's published in black and white and red. It's a pretty good book. If you're a Wolverine fan, I think it's worth your money. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, I mean, I understand it's called black, white, and red, but they do they overdo it with the red. Yeah, they went, well, they went that extra step with the so, red blood, Wolverine. But the stories were good, so. Yeah, like it's, it's a good read. It's a good, solid comic, though. I enjoyed it. Guardians of the Galaxy that came out this week is not an official Null tie-in, but it does have a little bit of Null in it, the Venom situation, the symbiote situation. So be aware of that. Sandra, what's going on in Captain Marvel this week? She's in a timeline, not a timeline. She's in a time travel to a different future. Apparently, the nemesis is going to be an offspring of Namor and ostensibly the Enchantress. You've been promising this Enchantress Namor kid for quite some time now, Sandra. Well, I, I haven't been promising. Is it. is Marvel uh, Comics aware that they're supposed to be doing this? 
Is the writer of Captain Marvel aware that you're expecting this to happen? This was completely out of the blue for me. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, I look at the solicitations. I see the cover. I said, gee, that kind of looks like Namor on the cover. And then the next issue comes out and it's got a guy that looks just like Namor, except he's in a different costume and he has a streak and some weird hair growth on his face. But anyway, doing a show in 2021 and Sandra is going to say any issue now in Captain Marvel. I don't think Namor's going to show up Namor on this. The Enchantress. No, I'm, <laughs> this is not something I would, I would say I was looking for or asking for, but it's, it's just, if you read Captain Marvel, the end, it's set in that quote unquote universe. We don't get to see this kid of Namor's until the very last page, but the cover's great. I have to say one that I'm going to recommend is U.S. Agent Number One. I'm going to recommend that as well. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah which is written by... Christopher Priest? Yeah, the awesome Christopher Priest and an entire issue by George's, is it George's Giante? George's Genti. George's Genti, okay. Not Jorge? Jorge? (laughs) I don't know how to spell the entire show without a problem, Albert. (laughs) Well, you can just edit it out. (laughs) Anyway, it's by uh, Genti, who... We don't see much of. Uh, he used to be part of that studio in Atlanta that Adam Hughes came out of. Brian Stella Freeze came out of. Uh, this was back in the 90s. Classic priest. Awesome, awesome story. Yeah. Great art. I think there's a nod to Mori Kumamoto in there, who was really uh, quite comedic book yeah yeah Yeah. very funny well i think over the over the over the years they've started using him as sort of a a joke character i don't oh wait uh usa agent yeah okay usa agent yeah he's got a lot in common with guy gardner so far as personality goes also for marvel comics fantastic four grand design trade paperback it's a wonderful breakdown of the history of fantastic four for those of you familiar with x-men grand design it's the exact same thing i think x-men grand design i liked a little bit better but this is worth your money if you're a fantastic four fan well the difference between this one and the x-men book if i remember correctly is this one actually takes some panels i mean it takes panels like the Kirby panels out yeah. and redraws them. Yeah. 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 I don't well, think X-Men he, did that. X-Men took some panels out and, and redrew them. The artist. Well, this re- is yeah. almost all the panels, if I remember correctly. Not, not all of them, but he, it did some. Also, a couple of other things of note, Money Shot, which I'm bringing up because somebody's blackmailing me, had their last issue, so it'll be out in trade paperback. If you like gratuitous nudity, and I think that's all there is to that comic, so there's that. And finally, Norse Mythology, Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology, issue number three came out this week. We all highly recommend that. Yeah, issue two, that was fantastic. Was it two or three that came out this week? I thought it was two. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Issue number two of Norse Mythology came out this week. Yeah, we love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. You didn't ask me what I've read this week. What did you read this week, Albert? A new issue of Alien, the original screenplay came out. I mean, it's still a good book. I mean, it's nothing too different outside of character designs and alien designs, but it, I, I still like it. Also, Cyberpunk 2077 Trauma Team, uh, issue three of Four is out this week, and it's still a great rate. I picked up on both of those, too, and yeah, I'm with you all the way. Okay, and that's going to round out the comic books for this week. So I found something on 
Amazon that I ended up liking a whole heck of a lot that was not even remotely on my radar before. What on was Amazon. It, Stan? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Sandra. <laughs> It's an Amazon original, and it's called Undone, and its first season came out in 2019. They're about 22-minute to 30-minute episodes. They're very, very well done, very surrealistic. If you've ever seen the movie with Keanu Reeves and Robert Downey Jr. based on um, Philip K. Dick's story, Anna Scanner Darkly, Mm -hmm. is that correct? No, it's just called Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. It's the same style. It's that same animation that is basically overlapping live action characters. I highly, highly recommend it because it fools around a lot with the notion of subjective reality, just like the comic books we've been talking about, the Department of Truth and Crossover do as well. It's got better. I think call- I watched a couple of episodes of that. Did you? That's the main. Does it start off with the the girl, like maybe she's depressed or has mental issues, and like, I think maybe she breaks up with her boyfriend after he tries to ask her to marry him or marry her or something? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah I've seen a little bit of that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's very well thought through, and it does follow along the Philip K. Dick themes of reality is not as much reality as you think. And on top of everything else, it's got Better Call Saul in it himself. Yeah, he's in Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk. Is he the dad? Yeah, he's the dad. Okay, yeah. He's... He's the dad and the catalyst for the whole thing. Yeah. And season two is going to come out here shortly. They were almost done with season two and had a little bit of a COVID delay. But if you're looking for something new, interesting to watch, please do consider Undone. It's something that I wasn't even aware was out there, but I'm glad I found it. There's a movie on Amazon Prime called Possum. Oh, God. You need What's to watch it. About? It's about a puppeteer. Possum? Yes. <laughs> Uh, is it a scary movie? Is it a horror movie or existential dread? Maybe I don't know. Existential dread. I've got a lot of existential dread. Going you need on. to watch this movie though. This this movie. I don't know if like the picture will be of the poster or whatever. What you're looking at on the poster is a puppet. Trust okay. me. Watch the movie. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Sandra, how are you on existential dread? Uh, I try to avoid it. How can you avoid it? Yeah, I tell you, uh, this week it's been hard to avoid it. <laughs> What stares back at you when you look in the mirror? Because I know what stares back at me. Oh, wow. Well, Doug Jones. I try to- <laughs> 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 hey, look, oh. folks, that was a callback to the beginning of the podcast. If only I had a Milo's burger right now. <laughs> if only I had a Milo's burger. Well, I trust you both saw the most important thing in human history this week The Mandalorian season two, episode oh, yeah. one. It is okay. It was more than okay. It's okay. okay. No spoilers. It, it, drug, it drug a little bit. La, 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 it drug la, la, a little la, la, bit. La, 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 la. <laughs> Sandra, you have not seen it yet. I have not had time, sadly. Not had time. You were time. up to three this morning, you said. What were you doing? I was watching the election results. Well, don't hear me that. You live in Georgia. And as was widely reported last night, everybody in Georgia went to bed at 9 p.m. Well, rather just, than to continue the count. <laughs> I well, There were other states than Georgia that were being counted. Thank you very much. And they're still being counted. Yeah. Well, well those states are none of your business, Sandra. Mind Georgia's <laughs> business. You don't hear me calling you up, asking you what are y'all doing until y'all went to bed at 9 o'clock and turned off the lights and stopped the count. <laughs> <sighs> Well, apparently a lot of people did that, and I, they didn't tell anybody because 
when I woke up, I, I was expecting to, to have some finality. And instead, I got, these are the same counts that were here when I went to bed. What's going I, I think, on? <laughs> I think like some of these states are tra- positioning themselves like they want to be the state that, that decides it is what that is. So they're him hauling around about stuff. <laughs> they want to be the state the other states nuke first. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to say before before all of this started, I would never have guessed that Georgia was going to occupy any any center of importance. Uh, but now it's beginning to look like it might be a key state, not only in the presidential election, but in the Senate election. So I I would never have guessed that people at Georgia stopped remembering how to count at around 9 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> And it's not that they didn't remember how to count. Well, it gets dark at five o'clock. I mean, yes. (laughs) They've had a big weekend. They went trick or treating. They had to set the clocks back. Well, like I said, I didn't see these other states standing around counting either. So, I have you know, Alabama did it, finished up at about 2 (laughs) a.m. Yes, sir, Reebok. Well, we have an Alabama's one got about, like two dozen votes to count. I was about to say, when you all the, when, I've watched a show that y'all, I don't know if y'all watched or not. It's an HBO original called The Undoing. Oh, with uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh, Hugh Grant? Yeah. Yeah, I've I seen watched, the first two episodes. Yeah, I saw them. It's, it's okay. Somehow I ended up watching the, well, I know how I ended up, but somehow I didn't end up watching that first episode. Okay, whatever. Yeah, for some reason I ended up leaving the TV on this past weekend and ended up seeing a lot of stuff I've seen before, like Battlefield L.A. That movie got panned, but that was a good movie. I love that, that movie. Who, who's the actor in it? Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I saw that in the movie theater. Like, I, I thought too. it was, for what it is, I mean, it, it's an odd way to do, like, military propaganda to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. In this day and age, but it's a good, entertaining movie, fun movie. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then seeing it on the TV again. That thing must be on an Aaron Eckhart thing, because I also ended up stumbling in on I, Frankenstein. Oh, God. Him. Yeah. It's been years since I've seen that. Britannia. That's one series I did. I am watching Britannia. Are you watching that? No. Like, what channel is it? What's it on? Encyclopedia Britannica? No. No. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like Encyclopedia Britannica, but get the Encyclopedia off. It's just Britannica, Britannia, not Britannica. It's on Epics, which for some reason is running. It's been running free since the pandemic. It's got, is the guy's name Gary Morrissey? He was in, he played the governor in Walking Dead, the British guy. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, the most miscast character in the entire entirety of the Walking Dead TV series. Oh, okay. Well, he plays this Roman general that goes to Britain. You think it's going to be like the Eagle or Centurion or one of those movies that talks about Rome, the Romans in Britain. Even from the first episode, it kind of takes a swerve off into, okay, these Druids are really weird. They they sit around and do lots of mushrooms or something. I don't know. And then it starts going off the deep end and you're thinking, wait a minute, maybe the Roman general is not really your typical Roman general because he may actually be some kind of supernatural being. And anyway, it's a, it's a weird, weird kind of mashup show. Are you sure it's called Britannia and you're not just watching like the 11th season of Doctor Who? No, it's called <laughs> Britannia. It's only on it's in the second season is running now. No. Now, if I turn you. it on and there's a blue police box on there. 
There is no blue police box. It's just a weird show. And then it has modern music in it sometimes for the soundtrack. The guy playing the outcast druid is awesome. There's a prophecy or there's a vision and, and it centers on this young girl. I'm not sure if she's going to be Boudica or not, but it's a quirky show. I like it. So, Is the girl's name Amy? The girl's name Amy. No. Amy Pond? Who is Amy Pond? It is, isn't it? You, you, can, you can send your emails directly to Sandra at. <laughs> <laughs> is this a Doctor Who thing? Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, I don't watch that show, so. Why do you um, not watch Doctor Who? Well, I mean, I understand why you wouldn't have been watching the last few episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the others are pretty good. <laughs> you know, I watched the first season with Chris Eccleston because somebody forced me to. And after that, I mean, I just. Crick, I, I, his first season was uh, was a good grounding, a good basis to reboot. But plus, I was also around when the Tom Baker season came up. David, yeah. whatever the little guys. Tenet. Yeah, Tenet, David yeah. Tennant. David Tennant really solidified the whole thing. And, and then it kind of went downhill quick after him. Doctor Who, uh, for some reason, just uh, never was a big fan of. But no, this is not Doctor Who. There's no time travel. There's just weird trips. and Well, if, it, if there's no druids. time travel, why would we be watching it, Sandra? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if I there's no know. time travel, why would we? I don't know if you listened to the first half of the podcast, but we're trying to will superheroes into this reality. How does an exposition about a Roman soldier in Britannia do that? Help us with this. <laughs> Look, there's only one superhero I want to will into this reality. So. Listen, if if we accomplish that, we'd screw it up and somehow get Red Skull out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'd be wishing for neighbor and I'd get stuck with a tumor. <laughs> or worse, Aquaman. If it was Jason Momoa's Aquaman, that's okay. But no, no. No, it's not. <laughs> no. It's Super Friends Aquaman, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I always liked Super Friends Aquaman. He had a cool voice. He did not have the same voice that everybody else had. I thought Super Super Friends Aquaman was the one that led to the whole Aquaman's a joke thing. Well, I mean, he did, but come on, really, it, it wasn't that far off. He's you know, he's he, water, fish, Atlantis. <laughs> I'm going to pretend you didn't. I say mean, he's not that. exactly Thor now, is. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, he's not exactly a beer-guzzling blonde barbarian, is he? <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of Kingdom Casts here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was not me clapping. That was me making noise because the dogs were... <laughs> Sandra, I can tell Sandra's excited to be done with this. <laughs> That's me clapping. <laughs> no, the dogs were... We're doing something. I was trying to get their attention. <laughs> I am going to give a quick shout out to Infinity Flux Comics in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We needed a little help or I need a little help over the weekend. And Jenny at Infinity Flux Comics in Chattanooga, Tennessee was outstanding there to help. They've got a very clean store. They're comics and games and they've got the store dichotomized but yet connected. It's a very nice setup. The owner is really great. If you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, stop by, go in and see them. Tell them Kingdom Casts sent you. They were a great deal of help to us. And also, while we're on that subject, 
We have listeners from all over the country and some outside of the country, a few, a good handful outside of the country. If you want to give your local comic book shop a shout out on this program, we are happy to do it. Contact us with your comic book shop and what you like about them, what makes them stand out. And Albert, Sandra, and I will do a little bit of investigating. We're not guaranteeing that everybody that sends in a comic book shop is going to get a mention. We will take the time to look into each of them and give them a shout out. We're all for that because we've had several people people asking us of late, can we recommend places? And I'm I'm not, you know, we're not everywhere. We barely even get out of our houses. So <laughs> if you've got a good comic shop, holler at us. Let us know. Let us check them out and see if we can give them a shout out on the air. Let us also know what you think. Ask us any questions. Send us emails just to say hi or whatever, or your opinion on a recent book. We respond to all of the emails. Kingdom Casts, that's kingdom, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com, kingdomcomics at gmail.com, Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Follow us. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Our numbers are great. We cannot thank you enough for it. As a matter of fact, toward the beginning of 2021, we're going to move on to the second stage of uh, the podcast. We hope that's something that we'll, uh, that uh, you'll be looking forward to because we are. And just give us a shout out. Give us five stars if you like us. And again, continue to share us with your friends, whether or not they want to hear us. It doesn't matter what they want at this point. What matters is what they need. And they need a good comic book podcast. You can, you've got dozens of Star Wars podcasts, thousands, hundreds of thousands of them out there. But how many really good comic book podcasts do you have? Again, probably hundreds of thousands. But, you know, then there's us in a category all by ourselves. <laughs> Well, Stan, you're missing the whole selling point here. What's that? This is, this is the only comic book podcast that will give you all the namer news all the time. And in spite of that, we continue <laughs> to beg you continue to listen to us and tune in and share us with your friends. So do subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Give us five stars. That helps us out a lot. Let us hear from you. Again, I apologize for screwing up the last podcast with the DC and the pull list. We will try to have pull list back on this Monday night sometime after 10 p.m. Central. Hey, take it easy out there. Don't let the stress get to you. Look at cute, fluffy puffies. There's plenty of things out there to distract you, and you don't need to get distressed over this. It's all going to be okay. Albert promises. Don't you, Albert? No. Okay, see? <laughs> Nothing gets better. It's only worse from here. (laughs) There you go. Comforting words from your Uncle Albert. All right. Sandra, you got anything to say? Um, Well said, Sandra. (laughs) Albert, do you have anything to say? (laughs) Hey, this was a good week for comics. This was, I will say that, this was a good week for comics. There was a ton of comics. And I'm not even sure what's going to be on next week. I guess I better look it up. It was. There was a pretty, you know, some weeks we just have like from everybody's just crap. Yeah. 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 But this is a pretty good spread out week for stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. You got that going for you, which is nice. All right, guys. Tell them good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, 
Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. I'm sorry, I have a very low alcohol tolerance.